0: to say kind of matched up with you sang in my heart it woke up you know God wakes up our hearts because he sings over us and I don't know if you know this or not But he sings not just with an audible voice, but in in through nature, you know, looking at the ocean, he's just, he was just singing. And I was like, man, woke up the amazing goodness of God and how big he is just reminds me of how big he is when you see the ocean. It reminds me of how big he is when I see the stars, you know, the stars sing over me. I love the stars at night It's one of my favorite things to look up. And I'm just like this, no wonder my neck hurts, but you know, uh, and and so just l- if you listen with your spiritual ears, he's going. To, he sings over you. His banner over you is love. Everything about that is is his love for you. And I know you're going to get talking into about the spiritual gifts, and um, but the fir- the thing about it is, is you have to know that how much you are loved. First off, you are loved, and then those gifts can start flowing through you. And it's not of you; it's of him. And 1 Corinthians 12, I know that's the spiritual gift chapter, but, you know, gifts is only mentioned one time in there, and it talks about the gifts of healing. But it says in um, verse 4, 1 Corinthians 4, 12, diverse gifts, different ministries, and diverse activities. So there's gifts, ministries, and activities, all of the spirit, and they're his. And so what happens is um, they're all of the gifts, ministries, activities, the same spirit, the same God, but they're all different. And the only gift that it mentions is the gifts of healings in there. And, you know, I know you're going to get into it. It's not an exhaustive list of uh, spiritual gifts, but, and it's only as he wills. So, you know, a lot of times we think, oh, I have this gift and you have that gift. Well, they're his gifts, and, you know, and some people say, well, you have access to it if you just reach out for it. Well, it says he wills. And so, you know, and some people walk in a greater measure than other people. And it's activities, gifts, and um ministries that he does and so but then it's funny because he talks about all that in chapter 12 and then in chapter 13 he talks about love and it's the whole chapter and it says the greatest gift is love and so once you know how loved you are then you're like oh you know all these gifts and and will flow through you a lot better people will receive of you a lot better you know if you don't realize how loved you are and only love those who love you then what good is that because I read this, somebody had a post, it's like the challenge isn't how much you love Jesus, but it's how much you love Judas, you know, and it's, and if you only love those who love you, what great is that? And so it's for those who don't love you, who aren't like you, who don't believe like you, because love is what attracts anything and everything, you know, and that just shows God in its glory. Um, but he says, greatest of these is love, and um verse 7 in chapter 13, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, and love never fails. And at the very end of the chapter in verse 13, now abide faith, hope, and love. And that's when he says believes all things, bears all ha- things, hopes all things. And at the very end, abide faith, hope, love. And But the greatest of this is love. So, you know, I know that I just want to set the groundwork that love is the main thing. And then we get into the gifts, and that's what he said. He just, he just tied it off at, this, at the next chapter. But it's all flowing conversation. It's all, it all flows together. He didn't break it up in chapter and verses. That's just for us. But if you listen with your heart and your spiritual ears, I know we're so enamored with trying to see him physically that we miss seeing him in different things. You know, just listen with your spiritual eyes, see, hear with your spiritual ears, see with your spiritual eyes, and receive it in your heart. And he's just he'll he'll flow through you, and it's as he wills though. But I just I just I just love that song, and that threw me off with what I was going to say. But I just wanted to encourage you and exhort you that. Um, just know how loved you are. I mean that was that's that's the main thing is knowing how lo- we can love him but we don't know how to love him until we know how he's loved us, right? Because he's the one who's taught us that or who who has done that first and he's the one who's waking up our hearts and I just pray that you get your hearts woke up today as you hear and I'll pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day, Lord. Thank you, Father, that you are so big and so vast that we see you in all things. We see you in nature. We hear you uh, with the birds, with, with the animals, with, with everything. We just see you through those things because you are singing over us. You sing over your creation and your creation sings to us and everything is wrapped up in you and we just get overwhelmed. Father, we just thank you that you overwhelm us with your love today may you just pour and continue to pour out may we receive all the love that we can contain it we that it just flows over to other people who need it not just to those who love us but to those who don't love us father and we don't even agree with we thank you that through your spirit you're going to help us walk in that today we love you we praise you and we honor you in jesus name amen
1: all right good Good foundation, groundwork being laid there. It's good. Thought she was going to preach my message there for a second. So I was just sitting back, about ready to take some notes. Um, it was good to hear Dr. Howells last night over at Harvest Chapel in Nitro. Uh, Randy and Debbie were there and got to sit with them and uh, enjoy the word. He was uh, beyond himself and out of himself last night. First time he's been to that congregation, and I think he was trying to give them everything he had. Uh, He was all over the place, but very, very good. Always encouraging to hear our mentor and um, receive from him encouragement. Um, I've been trying to get him in several churches in the valley for quite some time, and it's good to see that others are opening up their hearts and minds to receive uh, something that's fresh for the kingdom right now. Would you get your Bibles or your smart devices out? And as you do that, Prior to getting into the message this morning, uh, I've been releasing things to you since Father's Day as the father of the house. That doesn't mean anything other than the originator and God helped us to start this work. So we are the originators of Grace Life and want to continue to cast a vision and tell you where my heart is. And right now my heart is very broken uh, over several uh, in the kingdom of God who are walking away from the local church. Some have decided that uh, it's not for them and they can't participate in that. It's very obvious to look around at Grace Life and see the numbers have gone down. And it's happening everywhere. I talk to pastors uh, that are losing people by the droves. And we're we're beyond blaming COVID for those things. Uh, we're beyond... Uh, People want to blame uh, political divisions. They want to blame uh, all types of vices and social issues. They want to say, and I've talked to many of them well, this one hurt me or that one offended me. That one doesn't see eye to eye with me politically. This one doesn't see. There's division that has entered in. Let me tell you something. I'm offended every time I go to Walmart. (laughs) The prices are too high, the customer service is poor. They didn't shake my hand. There's not a greeter anymore at Walmart. I don't know what's happened to the greeters, but I'm offended. But you know what? I go back every single week. Why? Because there's something in Walmart. There's something in Walmart that I need. There's something in the local church that we need. Um, I want to be Christ-like. I believe as Christians, that's what the definition definition is, is that we are Christ-like. And do you know that it was his habit to gather? The scripture says that it was his custom to go to the synagogue on a weekly basis, routinely and consistently. He went to the synagogue to gather to worship, to serve, to be invigorated, uh, and to inspire others as well. This series of messages is so that we can come to a place where I can understand and you can understand. Todd can give me something. There's something that Alice has for me. It's not always just for me to stand up here and to give you resources. There are gifts within the body that he wants to bring into operation. But a lot of times... For many reasons, control would be one of those reasons, and people have not been released into those gifts to operate. By God's grace, I always try to give you opportunity. Is there a word on someone's heart? Is there a prophecy? Is there a word of knowledge? Is there a song? There's just a time and a place. Now, there is a traffic cop, and God God has given someone uh, in the church the responsibility to help guide and direct in those things. So that, like Lisa said, chapter 12, 13, and 14 is not broken up in chapters. It's a conversation. So he tells us what these gifts, administrations, and ministries are. Tells us they have to operate, need to operate in love, or they're just tank, clanging brass and tingling cymbals. But then he tells us in chapter 14 the order of how those things should be going on in the local church, the local gathering. Even if that gathering is in your house on a Tuesday night over coffee and homemade bread with butter on it <laughs> the gifts should be in operation so uh, and when I say that I'm broken-hearted it just concerns me as a pastor and a shepherd to see many Christians walking away from the local church for whatever reason that's why I posted this week and I've asked several individuals privately so what does church look like to you then what's a gathering look like if you don't understand the progression of the church, the Christians in the early church were meeting house to house because they were not allowed to meet in the synagogue. The message had changed, and so the Jews, were not, they weren't allowing the Christians, which included Gentiles, to come to the synagogue to worship, so they met house to house. But there finally were places built in the first century where the people began to gather together. I believe it is still important for us to gather together. Okay, I'm off my soapbox. Um, because the Holy Ghost is the teacher, but he uses vessels. And this, this morning, uh, would you allow him to use me as a vessel to bring some resources concerning the gifts of the Spirit in week one here? Let's go to 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. Thank you, Father, for your anointing on the speak, spoken word and the hearers, in Jesus' name. Paul says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. He's not being mean there. He's just basically saying, I don't want you to be uninformed or unaware of the gifts the Spirit has that he wants to give as he wills to the body. We're going to see some things this morning about that, that there is a gross ignorance that exists in the church concerning the gifts of the Spirit. Um, The gifts should be desired. Paul tells us that. Um, But chapter 12 tells us that the gifts of the Spirit, number one in verse three, they proclaim Jesus as Lord. If you look at verse three, Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So the gifts of the Spirit in operation through the body of Christ by Holy Spirit proclaim that Jesus is Lord when the gift of knowledge is flowing, when a word of wisdom is given, when the discerning of the spirits or prophecy, you are proclaiming that Jesus is Lord by the Holy Spirit. Is he not Lord? He is Lord and Savior. But they also, when they are in manifestation, these gifts profit the entire body. Look at verse 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Who does it profit when the gifts are in operation? All of us. Now, I believe that that means not only those believers, but also the unbelievers. Because Jesus doesn't just heal believers. He heals unbelievers. A matter of fact, everyone that he healed in the New Testament were unbelievers until they were healed. And so it profits all, proclaims Jesus as Lord. Should we not desire the gift so that Jesus can be proclaimed as Lord? I mean, we still want to paint a beautiful picture of who he is and what he's done for us. We want to promote him. So we proclaim Jesus when the gifts are in operation and it profits the entire body. Everyone benefits from the gifts being in operation and being demonstrated. So why should we not desire them? We don't want to be uninformed and unaware because it is a benefit to the body and to the world when these gifts are in operation. The body will be strengthened Jesus will be promoted and unbelievers will begin to place their faith in the finished work of Jesus when the gifts are in operation. Do you? I don't get ahead of myself. Uh, Calm down. Many have come from a teaching of cessation. C E -S S S A T I O N, cessation. If you came from one of these backgrounds, I'm not belittling or tearing down. I'm just telling you there are many out there that have been taught that the ending of or the gifts have been brought to an end with the last apostle. And so they believe that Paul was the last apostle. And after Paul, there were no more apostles. But I believe, according to Ephesians, the fourth chapter, in the fivefold ministry gifts, that there still are apostles. Help me, somebody. There still are prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Um, man, that's good stuff. The apostle is the only one that can touch the others. You see that? He can touch them all. The prophet points the direction. The evangelist reaches the furthest. See, your middle finger reaches out farther than the rest. The pastor is married to the church, and the teacher grounds us. I believe that the fivefold ministry is still in effect because why would he just say, well, there's pastors, teachers, and evangelists, but there's no more apostles and prophets? That just doesn't make any sense. And so if there are still are apostles, then the gifts are still in operation and they have not ceased. Listen, what we believe in, we will experience. So if you don't believe in the gifts, you won't experience the gifts. Um, that doesn't mean you may not experience them through someone else, but the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He will not put anything on you, you have to uh, allow the gift to flow through you. Some say my experience with the Holy Spirit has been conviction of sin and that's where it stops. And so the pastor gets up and preaches a great message and the success of the message was how many people come to the altar by the conviction of sin and they believe that the Holy Spirit convicts so the altars are full week in and week out of the same people (laughs) Confessing the same sin that Jesus already forgave over 2,000 years ago. Start walking in your forgiveness. You weren't forgiven when you asked. You were forgiven when he died and shed his blood. Forgiveness is yours. What, baby? Wake up to that. Amen. The Bible never teaches that the gifts have ended. And church history proves that they have not ended. Study church history. Start looking at the miracles of God Uh, Catherine Kuhlman go back and look at the things that God started to go back and look at the early church fathers and read the experiences of miracles signs and wonders that were following them in church history so the Bible doesn't teach that they have ended and church history proves that the gifts have always been in operation and are still in operation today if you believe that say amen Amen. what you believe will be you will begin to experience So when you said amen, you said, so be it, Lord. I want the gifts to be in operation. One of the manifestations of grace is the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The word grace is used over 120 times in the New Testament. Um, Now, Christianity has its roots in Christ, not Judaism. Help me. I mean, I'm not trying to... Step on any toes. If your roots are in Judaism, then you have an addendum to the old covenant, and the new covenant is not an addendum to, it is a brand new covenant. So Christianity has its roots in Christ. However, the language in which the New Testament was written was Greek, and there were no Christian words in the Greek. So words are borrowed, Paul uses the word grace which is a Greek word that has its originality is not a Christian word, God didn't coin the word grace, in the Greek it's kairos, kairos c-h-a-r-i-s and it is a, this, remember it's being borrowed from the pagans, the Greeks and so it is a touch of the gods bringing favor empowering, transforming, and equipping. So Paul uses this word and he says that grace is a touch from the one and only true God and it brings favor with it. It has an empowering touch, giving abilities to the one touch that they never had before. A touch that transforms one, equips them, and changes the way they think the way they act, and the way they talk. Let's just say it this way. It's supernatural. You will not experience the supernatural unless you believe the supernatural exists. See, I'm not talking in natural terms today. I'm not giving you something that you can uh, work to earn. I'm not talking about something that in the natural realm you can possess. These are supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit. So let's look at one of the uh, scriptures, the references in Acts the fourth chapter that Paul uses this word grace. Acts 4 verse 33. I'm teaching you this morning. I'm laying some groundwork because I don't want you to be unaware and uninformed about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And great grace was upon them all. The first part says they were teaching of the resurrection of the Lord. And great grace, Kairos, was upon them all. I speak the words of life over you today and I say that the grace of God, the abundant grace, the great grace, that supernatural touch that brings favor and abilities that you cannot receive in the natural realm is upon all of you today. Got one clapping wanting to receive it. If you don't believe it, it, it you will not. they will not manifest in your life. What you believe at this point and juncture in your life is what you've experienced. I don't say this boastingly, jestingly. I, I just say it with all the confidence in what the Holy Spirit has done. As I've been studying this, I have seen every, all nine of these gifts in operation in my life at one point or another. I'm going to show you some experiences, uh, and you will understand that we are vessels and the gifts are His. These are not gifts from the Holy Spirit. These are gifts of the Holy Spirit. They're His gifts. And then as He wills, He manifests and demonstrates those gifts through the, the vessels, the believers. Man, that's good. So, we've got to understand Paul's letter to the church at Corinth is where we find the understanding of the demonstration and manifestation of these supernatural gifts in the church. Question. Did they, the church at Corinth, deserve them? Did their behavior warrant them receiving them? Oh, There is a vast teaching with Christianity that persuades and manipulates believers that they don't deserve and therefore they must perform at a certain level in order to receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Am I right about it? I'm going to say that again because it's important to understand that there is a vast teaching within Christianity that persuades and manipulates believers that they don't deserve the gifts of the Holy Spirit and therefore they have to perform at a certain level in order to receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit and have those gifts in operation in their life. I'm going to give you a strong... um, Terminology for that teaching. Are you ready? Baloney. That's not truth. There's no foundation to that. I believe that it's important for us to understand Corinth historically to understand what Paul, when in Acts 18 he goes to Corinth and he starts a church there with Aquila and Priscilla. And that church, he's there for a year and six months, and he sees all that's going on there, and then he writes back to Corinth two different times, and most scholars would tell you that he actually wrote three letters, but one of them is missing. We have First and Second Corinthians, but there is a third letter that the manuscript was never found, but history tells us that it was possible that that letter was written. So he's very invested in the church at Corinth. Would you like to hear some history? Rome destroyed Corinth in the early ADs. It was just plummeted, desolate, empty, vacant, abandoned land until 44 AD. This is after the time of Christ. In 44 AD, Julius Caesar is the the emperor, and he wanted to rebuild strategically Corinth, and so he starts trying to get people to move. To Corinth, but he cannot persuade them to get there, so he starts uh, paying soldiers that are retiring from the Roman army, army, sailors who are traveling and from port to port delivering things, and legionaries. He's paying them to go to Corinth and rebuild this desolate city. And as they do, do and they move there, he uh, dedicates it to Aphrodite, the Greek goddess of sex. That's who he um, dedicates this land to. And so, guess what is prominent in Corinth? That's why you see Paul writing a lot to the church at Corinth to flee from fornication and sexual immorality. I'm going to read something to, here, to you here in just a second. Um, overall, men were coming to Corinth uh, to have a party. To have a sex party, it's kind of like Vegas, Sin City. What happened to Corinth stays in Corinth. There was so much drunkenness, lewd behavior, and foul language that was going on there. The alcohol, we would call someone who drank too much and it affected their life, we would call them an alcoholic. In those days, they called him a Corinth. I'm not joking, that's what history says. They would see a drunkard and he says, oh, that's a Corinthian because that was what was dominated in that culture. The reputation was there. Go with me to 1 Corinthians, the 6th chapter. with Just a little bit of that history and what Paul's dealing with when he arrives. And then I'm laying foundation for the gifts of the Spirit to help you understand that you're qualified. Okay. 1 Corinthians, the 6th chapter, verses 9 through 11. Paul says to the Corinthians, Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. He is not talking about going to heaven when you die because you do not inherit anything by definition when you die. If I die today, I don't get anything but heaven to be absent from the bodies to be present with the Lord. That's not an inheritance, that's a promise. If I die today, Matthew's got his hand up back there. (laughs) I'm worth more to my wife and my children dead than I am alive. So if I ever disappear, you might want to check them out and see where they're living, what kind of cars they're driving. Why? Because there will be an inheritance left for them. So he's saying that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, in the here and now, they will not have the benefits of what they would have if they were walking in the righteousness that Jesus had provided for them at the cross. Be not deceived. Then he gives you a list. Are you ready? Neither fornicators, that's any sexual activity out of marriage, hetero or homo. I'm not saying that crossly or harshly, just telling you what the definition of fornication is, any sex outside of marriage. Idolaters, pretty plain and simple, worshiping idols. Nor idolaters, that's married people having sex outside of the marriage bed. Nor if effeminate, effeminate, I can't say that word. Effeminate is those that were soft, it was actually a boy who had been brought into a soldier or sailor or even royalty's presence to have sexual pleasures with. Not abusers nor abusers of themselves with mankind. In other words, sexual perversion that abused their bodies with other men. Not just men, humankind. Nor thieves... We get the word for the Greek word thieves here is klepto, which is where we get kleptomaniacs. Nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor rivalers, nor extortionists. An extortionist is anyone who takes what you have for their own gain. Scam artists. It's like that call that you get on your cell phone hey, uh, your warranty's running out on your uh, new 1985. Lexus RX that I never possessed neither shall any of these inherit the kingdom of God that's not talking about you won't go to heaven that's talking about you are robbing yourself of the benefit of walking in the righteousness that Christ has provided you for here and now verse 11 is key and such were underline that word, circle it, highlight it Past tense and such uh, were some of you. I have in big capital letters, but ye are washed, ye are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. In other words... A lot of those people once were in those categories and they're still carrying baggage around from some of those categories that they were in. He's trying to help them to understand if you continue in these lifestyles, you are going to rob yourself of the benefits of the righteousness, peace, and joy that are located in the Holy Ghost who has the gifts. Let me go back and hit rivalries real quick. That's lewd language. It's really where we get they were cussing like sailors because they were. And I'm going to speak to that for just a second. Shame on some of us for using the language that we use and saying, well, I love everybody and that's not, let me tell you, that is not Christ-like. Just ask yourself this question. Would Jesus have posted that word? Not saying you're not going to heaven. This is not a heaven and hell issue, but you sure are not presenting heaven to others on earth with that kind of language. Uh, I'm not, uh, see, there is time for me as a pastor in love to bring correction. Everybody shouts when you say grace, grace, and they feel like you can go out and live in any old way you want to live. But when I have to bring responsibility to you and say, no wonder nobody wants to hear what you're saying, that's not the language that Christ would be saying, using to say the things that you're trying to say that he said. Now, I know that was a mouthful, but you cannot continue to go along using that type of language and expect to impact anyone with the kingdom of God in the earth today. That's good preaching. And I know I'll probably get some hate mail over that, but I'll correct you too when you send the hate mail because you're wrong. And I'm not trying to prove that I'm right. I'm just saying, think about it logically. Is that the way Jesus would talk and respond? No, it's not. You are as the Corinthian church was. You are qualified to receive why because you have been washed you have been sanctified you have been justified in the name of the lord jesus christ put your hands together and thank god for the blood so i'm going to suggest to you as paul did and does that you should desire the gifts first corinthians 14th chapter verse one he said desire the gifts So I'm going to go back, 1 Corinthians the 12th chapter. Give me just a little bit more time. Let me read quickly verses 4 through 11 and get to these revelation gifts this morning. I'll read it quickly so you will have context. There are diversity of gifts, various kinds, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it is the same God, Or spirit who works all in all. But the manifestation of the spirit, which is the manifestation of grace, a touch of God bringing favor that gives you abilities that you could not have in the natural, is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the spirit, to another, the word of knowledge through the same spirit, to another, faith by the same spirit, to another, gifts plural, of healings, plural, by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as He wills. The manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit are never silent, and they are never invisible. It's a demonstration. It is, they're vocal, you'll see some vocal gifts, and they are visible. The demonstration or the manifestation of these gifts have logically been broken down into three categories over the time of church history. Let's look at them quickly. Nine gifts, three groups, three gifts in each group. Number one, three, reveal something. The word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, and the discerning of spirits. They reveal something. They're revelation gifts. Three, do something. Power, faith, the gifts of healings, and the working of miracles. And three, say something. They are vocal. Prophecy, tongues, interpretation of tongues. By the end of this series, by God's grace, I believe you'll have a clearer, deeper understanding of the difference of things like prophecy and a word of knowledge. Um, Most of what people declare as prophecy is not prophecy, it's a word of knowledge. Prophecy, I can prophesy it to you right now. Be strengthened, be encouraged, keep on going, don't quit, hang in there. God's got great things in store for you. The best is yet ahead. That's edifying, building up, and encouraging. That's prophecy. And Paul said, above all things I wish that you spoke in tongues, but more than that, that you prophesied. In other words, build one another up and encourage one another. You can prophesy and it not be the gift of prophecy. You can all prophesy, even over your own life. David encouraged himself in the Lord. What did he do? He prophesied over himself. We're going to look specifically at the three revelation gifts this morning. The word of wisdom. The word of wisdom by definition is a supernatural revelation by Holy Spirit concerning divine purpose in the mind and the will of the Father. This is not a gift of natural wisdom. This is not James saying, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally. He can give you wisdom and it not be a word of wisdom. A word is a supernatural impartation of of a part of the wisdom of God about a particular thing. It is always a part of the Father's wisdom concerning the future. God will give you direction. The word of wisdom brings direction. And in that direction, the word can come in a vision. The word can come in a dream. Or the word can come by an inner revelation of the Spirit of God dealing with your own heart. So, the gift of wisdom is found in Acts the ninth chapter, verses 10 through 16. This is an example of the word of wisdom. Ananias, in a vision, gets direction from the Holy Spirit about what to do. The Holy Spirit gives a word of wisdom in the direction of what street to go to. He said, go down to Straight Street. Now, that's some pretty accurate direction. And when you get there, there's going to be Saul. He was persecuting the church. He's got scales on his eyes. Lay your hands on him. Those scales will fall off, Ananias. By the way, the word Ananias means grace. That's significant. Grace goes down to Saul's house and lays hands on him. And any time grace is applied, the scales will fall off. But by a word of wisdom, he knew where to go, what direction to go in. I would read chapter 9, verses 10 through 16. By the end of this, uh, scales fall off and... Saul is baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit, begins his ministry, ends up writing two-thirds of the New Testament. Was it significant for Ananias to receive that word of wisdom to go down? Because at the same time, God was dealing with Saul and giving him a vision and telling him that it, it was really a word of knowledge. He was telling him who was coming. He said, a man by the name of Ananias is coming to you. Personally, I have experienced the word of wisdom in my life, spoken over me and used through me. One personal example is a word of wisdom about direction and where I was to get my education. A word of wisdom came. It wasn't a prophecy. By prayer and direction, the gift was in operation. It was demonstrated. That word of wisdom gave me direction to where I was to go to Bible college. Thank God for that. Now, often the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge operate together. Not always, but very, very often they do. So what is the word of knowledge? It is is a supernatural revelation by Holy Spirit of certain facts in the mind and the will of the Father concerning places, people, and things. Again, God has all knowledge. He's omniscient. But the Holy Spirit imparts a word or a fragment of that knowledge to you, to someone. Uh, and we know in part, we prophesy in part, but that word of knowledge is given to bring information. As the word of wisdom would bring direction, the word of knowledge brings information. It's a part of the facts of the of the knowledge of God about a person, place, or a thing. Um, Leslie's friend, Christy. They come very often to Grace Life. The sanctuary was, seating was differently, but I remember the very first time that she came, sat right over here. And most would have thought that what I went and spoke over her was a prophecy. It was not. It was a word of knowledge. It was a f- part of a factual information that I had no natural ability of knowing. I had never met her. But the Holy Spirit knew it was the knowledge that God had and he gave me a fragment of that to speak that word of knowledge over her that was information about her that let her know that God knew who she was and what she was going through and it encouraged her. That's a word of knowledge. It was information. The Holy Spirit can work in a word of knowledge about a situation, about an environment. I'm getting a hold of myself. That's the gift of discernment working with the word of knowledge. Acts 10, verses 9 through 20, Peter's vision about the food coming down on the sheet that was unclean under the law, God gave him a word of knowledge about what he wanted to do with food that they had considered unclean. It was a word of knowledge. He would have not known that. There was no teaching going forth at this point in time that that food was now clean for them to eat. Often the word of knowledge is confused with prophecy, but they can operate when a word of knowledge is given, that information is dropped. That lets that individual know, hey, God is concerned about you. Then I can prophesy, build up, edify, and encourage because we now have that piece of information that we didn't have before. Does that make sense? The word of knowledge enlightens. That means it brings clarity and understanding to a person, place, or thing. It exposes a hidden thing. I, the Lord uses uh, me a lot in the word of knowledge when it comes to health issues. He gives me a factual piece of information about someone that their tendonitis in the elbow, um, you know, back tumor, something's, there's a fatty tumor in the back. That's a word of knowledge that exposes something that was hidden then there's recovery in the word of knowledge. We can go to 1 Samuel and see the story of Saul. He lost his dad's ten donkeys. He didn't know where they were, but a word of knowledge came to tell him where those donkeys were, and he was able to recover them. Hmm. These two gifts are not natural wisdom or natural knowledge. Listen to me. This is one of the most important things that I'm going to say as we move forward. If one of these gifts are natural, then they all are natural. But because they are all one is supernatural, they all are supernatural. So that when we get to the gift of tongues, and we're talking about tongues, we're not talking about a natural language. We're talking about a supernatural, glossolalia, heavenly language. We'll talk about that when we get to the vocal gifts. And lastly this morning, the discerning of spirits. This is a supernatural revelation given by Holy Spirit. To distinguish the spirits. In the Greek terminology here, it means judicial estimation after appraisal. If you get an appraisal on your house, someone comes in and makes a judgment about what the house is worth, considering these certain things, and then they give you an appraisal, and then there's a decision that is made and a conclusion that is brought that is discerning of the spirits. That's, that's what it means. Now that can happen instantly or it can happen over a season as Holy Spirit deals with you about a supernatural revelation by Holy Spirit that gives the ability to discern or to appraise a person, a statement, a situation, or an environment. Lisa would say things like this after a person made a statement. What spirit is that of? If I make a statement to Todd, if I'm trying to manipulate him with that spirit so that I can gain something with that statement, he needs to discern that that's, not, that's manipulation, that's not the spirit of God speaking to him through me. Because I'm trying to get something from him by making that statement. Folks, we've got to get to the place where the operation of the discernment of spirits. So you, People want to think, well, you've got to discern a demonic spirit. I pretty much can tell when a demonic spirit walks in the room and manifests. You would probably be able to tell as well. Don't take a whole lot of discernment. Now, it does mean the distinguishing between good and evil, but evil statements can come from good people. And we need to be able to discern the spirit that is behind that statement. There are situations that we find ourselves in that we need to discern the spirit that's behind that, that will keep us coupled with a word of wisdom and a word of knowledge can get us out of that situation and spare us. First John 4, 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone into the world. In other words, you better be able to distinguish if prophet so or so, or prophet to so and so speaks a word over you, that is not just manipulation, but to hear the spirit behind that. Now, I'm not trying to be critical and say that you just got to walk on eggshells and every little thing that somebody says. No, you use some natural wisdom along with God has given. Well, let's just look at the last scripture, Frank. If you'll come. I'm going to read it, then I'm going to have you stand, and then we're going to read it again. So, look at, Let's look at 2 Timothy, the first chapter, verses 6 and 7, because this is in direct context. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift, the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Would you stand with me, please? I believe that one of the reasons that we don't stir up the gift and the gifts are not being manifested is because we operate in fear. Fear of man, what man would think of you if that gift was in operation, Uh, I know, personally, I'll just speak, a spirit of fear would come a morning if the Holy Spirit gives me a word of knowledge in public, not in this group of people where I know everybody, but at the grocery store at Walmart, and he says, that one's dealing with this, go lay your hands on them. What are you talking about, Jack? In this day and time, laying hands on somebody? Now, you, you be cautious and not telling you to be a jerk or to, walk outside and start laying hands on people suddenly but do we operate because he's given us the spirit of power love and a sound mind listen it's only going to take one and it could break wide open for the church locally and globally one obedience leads to another obedience and as the gifts stir up the gift, desire the gift. Some of you know what the gifts are laying within you. Just ask the Lord to deal with revelation and understanding about those gifts in your life. Would you bow your heads please? Frank's seen something that's on your heart. Would you... Respond by the leading of the Holy Spirit and come. We're going to stir up the gifts. Just stand along the altar here, the front, as He sings, and we prepare to stir up the gift.